I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9 to 5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Hello and welcome to the Lead with Impact podcast. Today we are going to have part two of our interview with Carl Hughes. If you missed part one, you can catch that in episode 37. For today, let's pick up the conversation where we left off. Being a teacher, being a trainer, being a mentor, some fields are probably more difficult than others. And it seems to me as an outsider, please correct me if I'm wrong, that teaching and training construction workers about some things might be a little bit difficult. Am I right or am I wrong? They're a challenging audience, to say the least. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great, great audience because they're brutally honest. Um, the apprentice level, some of them are not even sure they want to stay in the trade. Some of them are not interested. It's, it's kind of like high school. You've got the kid that's uh, looking out the window and um, somebody who's maybe really not sure they want to be there. But the, the bigger challenge comes when I have to teach journey level. And these are guys that have been in the trade for 20, 25, 30, 35 years. They are hardcore. They're professional. They don't want to be there. They're usually in a class where they're required to be there for safety training or something like that. And, and I shouldn't say that they all don't want to be there. Some of them don't want to be there. Um, but the audience becomes someone who you have to get their attention. You have to win them over as an audience. And then you have to show them what it is they need to know for their safety training or whatever we're doing. And that challenge of winning over that audience is something I've focused on in recent weeks to work on, because as a public speaker, you have to do that. And if you don't in a construction audience, you're going to have a rough night. Right. (laughs) It's, It's just the way they are. So I always compliment them. The average construction worker in New York City is up at four o'clock in the morning four or five, the latest they're on the job sites at six 30 AM, no later. And they're tired by the time I get them at four 30 in the afternoon. And so I compliment them that, Hey, you took the time to improve yourself and we're glad to see you. And I will deliver that message. The first thing in the evening to start the class. And they're like, really? I'm and right away. I've been thinking that, Hey, I'm a decent person. I'm doing something good. And okay, this class isn't going to be as bad as I thought it was. Right. So that's the message I'm trying to instill into their head. And so far, it's been working very well. And then I, I relentlessly push the idea that what they're doing is a good thing. And they may not use it today, may not use it tomorrow, but down the road, they will. And they do. I love it. So we talked about the fact that you did have some struggles and you've had a lot of different uh, turns you might say in your career, who's helped you along the way? Did you have any mentors? I have to say there's two mentors in my whole life that I keep referring back to. And, uh, one was my dad, of course, and another of his contemporaries, a man named Lee Ernest White. And Lee was, um, a fellow I met through boy scouting 
and Lee wrote books for Boy Scouting. He was just an amazing person. He played uh, quarterback for USC way back when Frank Gifford played back there. Wow. And he went to play for the Los Angeles Rams at uh, a very brief career. He said, I lasted the summer. And then they turned around to him and they said, uh, you're not going to be on our team. Uh, and he dates back to the age of Norm Van Brocklin and uh, that era. But he went on to become a huge uh, war hero in the Korean War. He has uh, distinguished service cross, several Purple Hearts, um, Silver Star, Bronze Star, and I can't begin to even name all that he did. And he was just an amazing human being who was part of the first editions of Special Forces. And the things I learned from him apply to so much that I do in not only in scouting, but also in construction. Everything I learned from him applies because it's really it's a success formula and that's one of the things i learned from him and i couple that up with the things i learned from my dad and that's really been the game plan that i've followed and taught to um, teach others that that's what works now both of them were amazing in that they started from very very poor backgrounds um, lee white was uh irish and native american he was lakota sioux and um yeah i'm pretty sure it's lakota but anyway, he was he grew up on a reservation, came from very little money. My dad, of course, grew up in um, Dublin, Ireland, and he came from very little money also. But both of them had taught me the same lesson, drive, and working very, very hard on a very consistent basis to get good at what you do and also to work at your family and work at what you value and put a major priority into that. And so what their whole lives were about, and although both of them have passed us now, um, what they did was to pursue with their values in place, to pursue what their goals were. And both of them were, at the end of it, all said and done, tremendously successful individuals. So was that the success formula you were talking about? Pretty much, yeah. That's that's what I do, is I follow what they've taught me. And f the success formula really is you have to be true and honest to your values. And both of these men, I think of all the people I've met in the world, I can think of no two people uh, on either level that have ever shown me as much integrity and dedication to their values as what both those men taught me. And when you follow that, that's the reason they're successful. They never gave up on it. They were very hardworking, but their value system was firmly in place. They sound like fantastic mentors. They are. Uh, well, God rest them both. They, they both were. And um, I was lucky enough to meet both of them. But um, going forward, what I realize is that it's the influence that we share that's going to last longer than us. And so when I think of the way they taught me, yeah, um, if I can share that with others, they'll do the same thing, and then we share the good part, and that's that's really what brings people to the success level. So it's it. There's lots of ways you can do it. There's lots of things you can work on it, but I don't know of too many successful people that are untrue to their own values. You know, and the values is something you really have to put in order, and so that formula of uh, establishing your values, then learning your skills, learning your trade, learning what you have to do to be successful, then setting your goals and working on your goals, that works. And it works tremendously well. 
And so I teach that to, to my apprentices as well and also to others who will listen. So how do you help people today? Well, and I'm in a position really to educate people. And I think that part of what I would do um, and what I am doing as a public speaker is to educate people. Some of the lessons we get to learn are not taught the easy way. Unfortunately, a lot of people were not really prepared for life. Um, and I think what happens to folks is that you expect that your education is going to provide you the answers. But the educations don't. You know, for example, uh, financial literacy. And I know it's near and dear to your heart, too, Brian. It's, um, a lot of people go through college, 16 years of schooling. They have never been taught financial literacy. And I'm not just saying uh, blue-collar folks, but there's a lot of white-collar folks, too, working in offices that just have no idea as to how to manage their money. That part of it, they've never been taught. So one of the things I focus on, uh, especially with the blue-collar guys and gals, is to turn around and say, okay, um, you're making some money, but you can't spend it all <laughs> or it's not going to last. And so I lay down a groundwork of basic financial literacy um, just to try and get them on an even keel because the one disappointing thing with construction, although we have jobs that pay well, as we said before, all of them end. And that's that tradition of people thinking, oh, construction work is more temporary type of work. You know, um, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, banks used to tell us you can't have a credit card because you're only a seasonal employee, mm. that you only work in the summers, which is not true. Uh, but banks started to realize that, you know what, construction workers do work a lot, uh, but it's not always consistent. You could be laid off tomorrow for no reason at all. It's just whatever set of circumstances came into play, that job is now ended. And a perfect example, um, in the dot-com boom of the 90s and early 2000s, um, I was working as a foreman with the company, and my boss brought me to a job. He said, you know, Carl, this is nine floors. You're going to be here for months. You're going to have a bunch of guys working for you here. Everything's going to be great. Uh, we dropped off the gang box, which is our tools and, and the equipment to get started. Uh, and I was going to start the job the next day. So it was a Wednesday. And I said, sure, no problem. This looks like a really exciting job. And when we got there, there was other workers there already. There were about three, 30 guys sheetrock, and there was lots of noise and banging and beating and all that good stuff. And then we dropped off our equipment. And we went home. That night, he called me. He said, you got to meet me at 6 o'clock in the morning. I said, okay, sure. I met him. We went down. He said, we got to go pick up our stuff. I said, why? He said, the company's out of business. He said, they had nine floors yesterday. They're gone. It was a dot-com company that literally overnight, the job stopped. There was nobody there the next day. They were all gone. The entire project ended. Now, I was fortunate that he had a couple other jobs, but there's the example is that, you know, that job changed through nobody's fault except that this particular company whose project we were building they were now out of business. So it's over. And I think a lot of people, especially in the construction field, they don't prepare for that. That's a possibility at all times. The company you're working for could be out of business tomorrow, or the companies that they're working for maybe don't have any projects right now. And so things change. The end result of that is it, there could be a break in the action. Not that you're going to be work, out of work forever, because the flip side is there's always another job. All right. 
but that job might not be tomorrow. It might be two or three weeks away. It might be two or three months away. And now, of course, with New York City, as the Hudson Yards is finishing up, and there are other projects starting there as well, but as those projects finish, maybe you might not have a job because they lay off the crew because basically the, the project's over. And so if they go from a crew of 100 guys and they say, you know what, we're at a point now we don't need half of them, um, lay them off, send them someplace else. Now there's 50 jobs not lost. Completed would be a better word. So those jobs are over. And getting angry about it's not going to do you any good. But the personal side of it is the financial preparation to deal with that layoff, to deal with being out of work for a couple of weeks. That's really a, a real key idea in terms of financial literacy. People need to be aware of that. That could happen to anyone. And it's happened to a lot of my friends on the white collar side of things, too. Um, when when that eventuality comes, are you ready for it? Now, in construction, we hit into it a lot more often than somebody working in an office. But it can happen to someone in an office. What if the company decides, you know what, we're going to sell off this division. We're going to send it out to somebody else. We sold off that portion of the company. And now they merge in, but they already have several people already doing that job. And now, guess what? Yours is over. And now, are people ready for that? And the answer is no, they're not. Right. Um, one of the things I've learned is that uh, the average American only has about $1,000 cash in the bank. That means to me the average American is about one paycheck from homelessness. It's not a good situation. And so I think the financial literacy portion of it, and one of the things that I teach my guys is to be ready for that possibility because it's not really a possibility. It's a probability. Right. At some point, you're going to experience that. And so you need to put some money aside for that. And I was going to say, too, you mentioned something earlier that I think would apply, and that is the very nature of the physicality of the job means you yes. can't do it forever, right? Absolutely. And as carpenters and tradesmen get older, we kind of get caught in a little problem because when you're young and strong and you're in your 20s, you're on top of the world. And you're like invincible, and that's great. And you become very good at your trade, but it takes its toll physically. And thereby, here comes the big problem is that as you get older, remember that thing we talked about, how there's not so much upward mobility that they're not going to hire you to be in management because you're more valuable as a tradesman. Well, now you start to become a little older, and they start to look at you as, oh, it's an older tradesman. He's not going to be a productive, as productive as a younger tradesman. And so that starts to work against you. So the solution to it is somewhere along the middle of the game, you start preparing financially for the long run. And you start to prepare education-wise to move up out of the trades level and maybe move into a management level. But that's where you're going to need to start to get some education. And education, as anybody knows, is going to take some time and some effort. So you need to kind of go to college maybe at night or take courses online or as you need to and as you see the opportunity to get better educated at different subjects rather than those that are directly proportional to producing a job. And so I think that aspect of it as we go along, yeah, you kind of got to start to work on that earlier rather than later. I think it applies, and like you said, in almost any industry because everybody wants to take a break someday or at least transition probably into doing something a little bit different. So 
uh, applies in a lot of ways. A couple more yeah. questions for you. Sure. And uh, we talked before we started rolling tape about the literal danger of being a construction worker in New York City. And I guess this comes into the importance of your safety training. Could you tell people a little bit about the real-life issues that go along with that? Uh, the real-life issues is that on any given day, um, construction workers can die. The unfortunate thing is that our media doesn't recognize it. If you were to take the statistic of 34 construction workers killed in one year in New York City, which is last year, that would be devastating if 34 police officers were killed. You, the media would be nonstop. But because they're construction workers and we don't seem to make that great of an impact, and I'm not going to say that, that police officers are not entitled to the, uh, the benefit of the media. They certainly are because they do an excellent job. But we're always um, left for not front page news. But somewhere between the sports section and the clothing advertisements is where you'll find the article, unless it's a really dramatic uh, death. But if somebody walks off a building and just happened to die or fell off a building and falls at the number one cause of death in construction, when that happens, you don't hear about it on the front page of the media. You'll hear about the crane collapse because it affects so many people. And unfortunately, last weekend we had a, a young man was killed in New York by a piece of a crane that fell down and hit him and it killed him. And that, that will make front page news, but the average everyday construction worker doesn't, but it's a very dangerous job. It has always been a dangerous job. And when you look on statistics, you'll find that it is far more dangerous to be a construction worker than a police officer. Statistically, that's not to say that the police officers have an easy job. They certainly have a difficult job. And they do it really, really well. Um, I, have, I have nothing but admiration for people who go out and try and patrol the streets and take care of so many issues that they have to deal with. But statistically, they're not likely, as likely, to be killed or injured as construction people. And I think that part of it is why there's so much of an emphasis on safety training nowadays. And it's in my view, and I'll probably be the most unpopular person in the world in construction saying this, we need it. Um, a lot of the guys will not agree. Oh, I know what to do. Don't worry about it. But on my first job, I was almost killed twice. And uh, a fall from 30 floors up, only somebody grabbed me by the neck. Uh, that saved my life. Um, it was an accident that shouldn't have happened, but I was lucky that somebody grabbed me in time. And the second time, I was almost caught between an elevator and a building on an outside hoist. Uh, dropping 30 floors. And so um, those situations, our younger, newer construction people need to get the safety training. And it's something that you really can't put too much of an emphasis on. And we've gotten better and better at safety. But I think that really, we have so much more to go. And in my humble opinion, the amount of training that we do in the construction industry can always be improved, especially tra safety training. And it needs to become a way of a culture rather than just, well, I did my 30-hour OSHA class, I'm good. Uh, no, we kind of have to embed it into everybody's mind that, yeah, we should be doing things safely. We should be working at it. We should be paying attention to it. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, training, and if you look at um, 
military training, if you look at so many other types of training, it should be done often. Training is, there's no end to it. It's because everything is always changing. So even just to keep up with the changes in the construction industry, instead of griping about new technologies, you should be training really to learn them because they're going to help you down the road. And guess what? They're going to use them whether you like it or not. So the things that we used to do one way a hundred years ago, they're not done that way anymore. It's a constant thing. Change is part of our industry, just like it's part of anybody else's industry. And they do that. And, um, the technology advances, like, for example, um, if you take about 40, 50 years ago, a young woman or a young man might come out of school and become a secretary typist, or you might be put in a typing pool, and it would be, would be maybe uh, 50 or 100 people working in the typing pool that type letters for the business. Nobody does that anymore. It's gone. You pull out the stock letter, you change the name. And unless there's one or two particulars in that letter, you just change those. Then you uh, hit send, and it emails them over to the other person. It's done in a matter of seconds. You don't have to go down and request a typist and get people to do that for you. It's, it's done so much more easily nowadays because of the advances in technology. The same is true in construction. Nobody uses a rip saw anymore, a hand saw to rip down planks. We don't do that. We use power saws. It's been there forever. Uh, but when that change occurred, there were people who were reluctant to change to that. But the fact is that whether you like it or not, technology doesn't go backwards. And I have some guys that they're, they're kind of narrow minded in the idea. They say, oh, well, so you're endorsing somebody uh, taking away our job. You want us to lose our job. And my answer is always the same. You're not losing your job. Your job is changing. You need to keep up with it. And the reason if you don't keep up with it, that's the reason you're going to lose your job. So you do need to learn new technologies. It, it's out there. It's, going to, it's not going away. I had a guest on several episodes ago. Her name was Marella Borson, and she is a retired chief lieutenant, or police lieutenant, I should say. And she had a quote, which is one of my favorite quotes ever. She said, there's two things cops don't like, change and the way things are. <laughs> that's a great line that's fantastic really and I thought that applies to a lot more than just policemen I think it's sort of human nature yeah I think we're reluctant because everybody likes to get comfortable and once you're comfortable well that's the way we've always done it until somebody comes up with a faster better easier cheaper way to do it then it's game on again and you have to learn the newer systems so I, I think that's yeah it's probably is a part of human nature so I'm going to ask you a philosophical question now. Yeah. If you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell the younger Carl? I'd tell him to hang on tight. It's going to be a hell of a ride. Okay. But the best is yet to come and never stop learning because the things I've learned in the last 10 years are really setting me up for where I want to go now. And I never thought about that before. But when, um, when you um, ask that question, really, if you were to look back, it's like it's going to get better. It's going to be a great ride. You can't change the past, but if you keep learning, the future becomes better. And for me, I've, I've about 20 years ago, I started working on becoming better. And if I were to mail that back to me 10 years ago, say 10 years ago, what would you think? It's like, yeah, keep learning because it does work. It really, really does. And so I would say um, – it all works for the better. Keep learning. You don't regret it.
It's outstanding. So you sort of led into this. What does the future hold for Carl? Future holds. Uh, I'm at this time. I'm I'm not retired. I'm not going to retire. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Is I, I I've discovered that this this concept of retirement is not for me. I don't envision myself sitting home complaining or going out to the park and watching the birds. Uh, I'm not going to retire. I fully intend to go and bring this message that I have to as many as I can. As a matter of fact, I do have a, a project coming out. It's a book called uh, Hammering Out a Living, the Carpenter's Tips for a Successful Life. And that's coming out very soon. Um, it's just putting finishing touches on, on it today as we speak. So um, it, it's basically what I've been teaching my classes for the last uh, 10 years. And so that's going to help me along with my public speaking. And uh, we'll go from there. But um, there's so much to life. And there's so much going on that, yeah, the retirement, I might step away from the Carpenters Union at some point, but um, right now, the reason I would do that is not because I want to retire, but because I would need time to go pursue the other aspects that I'm working on. And so that's where it's going to head. You know, it's going to take some time to do that. Uh, but like I said, I keep learning and I keep working on things and the, the message is for me just too important for not to say it. It's too important a message that uh, a blue collar trade is not a bad way to go. It's a very good way to go. And that message has to be delivered to the United States of America in technicolor. And so that's what I intend on doing. All right. I hear you. It's a powerful message. So when this book comes out, where will people be able to find it? Do you know? It's coming out through AHA That Books from uh, California, and they will be able to access me on my website, uh, which will be Hammering Out a Living, and also Carl at CarlDHughes.com. And so that's where they're going to be able to make access to it, and it'll be followed up by uh, videos and an interactive re website as well. So that's where I'm working. I'm, I'm excited about that. So am I. It's, it's time consuming right now. But like anything that's good, it requires time and effort. As we had just said, there's nothing easy. I mean, if you want to be good at anything, you really have to go out and pursue the effort. Um, whether you want to be a sports star, and that's such a difficult thing to do. But no matter if you take a look at any trade out there or any job that's really, really um, rewarding and gives you that level of success that you're pursuing, there's nothing easy. But the enjoyment of pursuing it is where the fun is. You know, uh, the great Vince Lombardi said, the will to win is nothing compared to the will to prepare to win. And when you think about that, that's where the fun is. That's really where the work is. And it's the part that people like to gripe about. But at the end of the day, that's really where it is. That's life. You know, being a good carpenter, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, I had met with Brian Tracy, uh, the huge salesman and public speaker. And Brian Tracy is an amazing human being, but I met with him in, in a course two years, a couple of years ago in 2017, and he turned to me and said, you know, carpenters, to be a really good carpenter, it takes a lifetime of experience to master the skills. It takes decades. And out of a gut reaction, I just responded to him. I said, I know. I am one. And he said, especially the finished ones. I said, I know. I am one. And that's really true of anything to be to be as successful as Brian Tracy. It didn't happen overnight. 
he went out and worked very, very hard at becoming an excellent salesman, worked out, uh, worked very, very hard to become an excellent public speaker, wrote 72 books. I think it's up to 73 or 74 now, but nothing good comes easy. Nothing. And so I, I, I always think of it like this. Enjoy the ride because it's going to be a hell of a ride. <laughs> Let's just give people those addresses one more time. Carl at carldhughes.com. Yeah, and that's with K's. Uh, I spell my name with a K, so it's K-A-R-L at K-A-R-L-D-H-U-G-H-E-S dot com. And the other will be hammeringoutaliving.com. Okay, and that's just simply the way it would be spelled H A M M E R I N G O U T A L I V I N G dot com. Perfect. Well, I'm looking forward to checking out that website and getting my hands on that book. And I just would like to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And I'd like to thank you for giving me the opportunity. I really appreciate it, Brian. It's great to make a contact such as you, and it's working out well. Same here. It's been an absolute pleasure, and you are one of the best speakers I've heard, so please keep at it. Thank you. I appreciate it. And you don't do bad yourself. I was very <laughs> impressed with yours. Thank you. And uh, when the book is released, if you'd like, let me know, and we'll have you come on, and we can talk about it. It'd be wonderful. I'd be happy to do that as soon right. as I have it all dates in place. All right. Sounds great. Carl Hughes, thank you. Thank you so much, Brian. So that was Carl Hughes. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I know I did. Carl is such an interesting guy and he has such a wealth of information to share. I took a lot away from it. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you found us out there online somewhere, if you have the time and the ability and the goodwill somewhere deep in your heart, if you could like, rate, review, subscribe for free, it would be greatly appreciated. And you can also find us online at brianrollo.com slash lead. Find us, like us, we'll talk. And whatever you need to do, go out there, have a great day, lead with impact, and I will talk to you tomorrow.